Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, good friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Well, it turned out to be a pretty busy Memorial Day weekend with the White House and House Republicans finally agreeing on a plan to avoid fiscal chaos by raising the debt ceiling and putting the brakes on some new spending. Now, the big challenge is getting that plan through Congress. But that begs the question, why do we have to go through this political circus over raising the debt ceiling and why only when a Democrat is in the White House? And that is just one of the big issues keeping Congressman Adam Schiff busy these days. He's also a leader of successful Democratic efforts to expose those Republican claims about so-called weaponization of federal agencies as totally phony, uh, thereby causing great embarrassment to Jim Jordan, which is good. He's also fighting efforts in many red states to roll back voting rights while leading the charge in Washington to get the Supreme Court to adopt a strict code of ethics. And, uh, by the way, Adam Schiff is also busy running to be the next United States Senator from California. We caught up with Congressman Schiff just before the Memorial Day weekend break and just before the debt ceiling agreement between Kevin McCarthy and President Biden. Congressman Schiff, good to reconnect with you and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. It is great to be with you. We've, we've known each other a long time and I was working <laughs> on the program. Well, we've known each other a long time, fought on many good, ba- fought many good battles together, and more battles to come. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, uh, as, as we talked, um, you know, we're in the middle of this whole crisis about the debt, manufactured maybe, crisis about the debt. So, I mean, we don't know how things are going to play out. And before everything plays out, um, I, I just want to ask you one question, Congressman. Do we have to go through this? every year, or at least every year when a Democratic president is in the White House? Uh, we shouldn't, no. We, uh, I mean, this is an artificial limitation Congress has imposed on itself. And frankly, I think we ought to get rid of it uh, because it's only used for brinksmanship. It ends up resulting in our uh, debt being downgraded uh, because of the, the level of dysfunction uh, in the GOP uh, that, that uh, sees this as an opportunity to hold the whole country's economy hostage uh, to try to impose draconian cuts that they don't have the votes for. Uh, so it doesn't have to be this way. And frankly, we should we should make sure in the future this doesn't happen again. Uh, I think the Constitution is pretty clear, right, that we have to pay our bills. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the 14th Amendment says that the debt of the United States uh, shall not be subject to question. So uh, we ought to uh, make sure that it's not. Yeah. Uh, so meantime, Congressman, you must walk around feeling like you have a target on your back. Uh, so the latest is, uh, you know, not only did uh, Speaker McCarthy exercise uh, his first act by throwing you off the Intelligence Committee, but now one of your colleagues is asking 
demanding that you be expelled from Congress because she says that the Durham report proves that the whole Russian investigation was a big hoax and you're the one responsible for it. (laughs) So uh, you're ready to hang up your spurs and move back to California? (laughs) You know, this is, uh, you know, classic of these extreme MAGA people who not only don't know their facts, but uh, are willing to engage in such uh, frivolous uh, and destructive behavior. Um, If they knew anything about it, they would know that Durham was appointed by uh, Bill Barr uh, at Donald Trump's urging, basically to expose what Trump was promising, some uh, deep state conspiracy theory uh, in which uh, Nancy Pelosi and John Brennan and Joe Biden would be implicated and go to jail. Of course, none of that happened. Uh, the Durham investigation was a, a huge bust. Uh, he brought two cases to trial and lost both of them. <laughs> right. Uh, and after four years and 400 and something interviews, uh, really had nothing to show. And I think uh, out of you know, sort of despair at this failed investigation, um, they, uh, they're they trying to resurrect the morale of the right wing by going after me. Um, and of course, they've conveniently forgotten that the uh, the Russian investigation in the House was begun by a Republican when Devin Nunes <laughs> was chairing the Intel Committee. But, but again, facts don't seem to matter much to that crowd. And, and the Durham report, in fact, does not prove that the Russian investigation was a total hoax, right? I mean, there might have been uh, some some misstep by the FBI at one point, uh, but the but the Russians were really involved in trying to influence the 2016 uh, election. The Mueller report proved that, and now the Durham report, in effect, confirms it, doesn't it? Well, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, what they would like to conveniently gloss over is the fact the Russians were actively intervening in our election to elect Donald Trump. Um, And the Trump campaign was helping. Uh, The Trump campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, was giving Russian intelligence uh, internal campaign polling data, uh, giving Russian intelligence their battleground strategy uh, in different battleground states. And that same unit of Russian intelligence was doing a hacking and dumping operation where they're hacking uh, Clinton and DNC emails and dumping them uh, through cutouts. They had a whole social media campaign out of St. Petersburg to elect Trump. Uh, and so there were good reasons to investigate Russia's interference in our election because they were interfering in our election. Uh, <laughs> right. And there were good reasons to investigate Trump's connections uh, to Russia, uh, including, by the way, his efforts to consummate the biggest real estate deal of his life in Moscow Trump Tower during his presidential campaign. So, Congressman, um, once the re- Republicans uh, got control of the of the House, they said, all right, we're going to respond to all of these efforts to investigate Donald Trump, but we're going to, we're going to expose what they call the weaponization of federal agencies, including the FBI, including the Department of Justice. Jim Jordan in charge of that uh, as chair of the Judiciary Committee. Um, how's that working out for them, Congressman? <laughs> No, no better than it did for uh, John Durham. Uh, I mean, it's it's been a big bust. Um, the 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 couple people they called in that were supposed whistleblowers didn't have anything to say along the lines that they were hyped for, uh, and really they've got nothing to show for it. Um, you know, in the Judiciary Committee, uh, this is a slightly different matter, but they 
Jim Jordan scheduled a field hearing up in New York uh, to try to <laughs> interfere in Alvin Bragg's prosecution of Donald Trump. And that yeah. was a fiasco. Um, it was made clear to the Republicans before they took their show on the road that this would really hurt them uh, in court because uh, they were being sued by Alvin Bragg um, to prevent them from interfering in the prosecution. And and so the Republicans who were told undoubtedly by their own lawyers, you're hurting our own case, uh, were, were instructed during this hearing in New York not to mention Trump's name. But of course, <laughs> the whole point of being in New York was to interfere with the prosecution of of Donald Trump. And, and so I, I have to admit to having a little fun during that field hearing by uh, suggesting that uh, are we to believe that that the Republicans just coincidentally of all the states in the union pick New York to have a hearing and of all the cities in New York pick Manhattan, you know, New York and of all the boroughs in the city pick Manhattan. I mean, it was just absurd. Well, it's pretty clear, uh, Congressman, that that they do, they do not seem to have done their homework in hearing after hearing. Uh, by calling witnesses who don't say what they're supposed to say or th- what they're, they thought they would say. But it's also pretty clear that you and other Democrats are pretty well organized, right, to take them on and to expose their uh, incompetence almost. Uh, we are. And, you know, to give you one recent illustration in the Judiciary Committee, um, they have had a bill basically attacking Democrats over defunding the police, uh, their their uh, mantra, defunding the police, um, that is the Republican mantra, because those are the ones who seem to be using it the most. Um, and I offered an amendment to their bill, uh, which criticized efforts to defund the police. I offered an amendment, uh, which would put the the committee on record, therefore opposing Matt Gates' bill to defund <laughs> the ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and. Uh, and I, I sort of went down the line. I, I said, how about it, Chairman Jordan? Are you willing to speak out against Matt Gates's bill to defund the, the entire federal law enforcement agency known as the ATF? Mr. Chairman, Mr. Jordan, would you like to me to yield to you, express your support for Mr. Gates' legislation I'm gonna, to I'm gonna yield the to, I'm going to I'm going to yield to Mr. Gates. No, no, I, I'm None. yielding to you, Mr. Jordan. Well, I'm going to, to let me Mr. know. I'm going to listen to Mr. Gates' compelling Jordan, arguments Jordan, that I know will be Mr. coming, Jordan, and then we Mr. will Jordan, have a reclaiming debate. my time. I, I'd be happy to yield to you for the purpose well, of yes. I appreciate your willingness. Uh, Mr. Jordan, if you'll let me finish. I will. It would abolish, it would eliminate the Bureau immediately after enactment. Do you support that, Mr. Jordan? Yes or no? I've given my answer. Do you support it? I've given my answer. Yes or no, Mr. Jordan? I've given my answer, Mr. Schiff. Okay, I guess your answer is you don't support it or, or you're afraid to say that you do. But I, I, I'm, hoping, uh, I'm happy to yield to Mr. Johnson or Mr. Biggs or Mr. McClintock, Mr. Tiffany, Mr. Massey, anyone. Anyone else like to join Mr. Gates and anyone, anyone like to, uh, any li- anyone like to express their support for Mr. Gates' effort to abolish an entire federal law enforcement agency? Anyone over there? Um, so yeah, yeah, they're uh, they're not having much success, and you know the the tragedy is though there are real problems that we should be addressing, um, and yeah. while while I think we are uh, on the Democratic side of the aisle doing a good job of exposing uh, these kind of frivolous efforts by the GOP and, and not so frivolous efforts like like an effort to interfere in a prosecution, which they have no right to do. Um, but but it, it comes at a great opportunity cost because we could be trying to solve some of the nation's problems, uh, but but instead they, uh, they want to engage in, in these kind of uh, tactics meant to placate the most extreme members of their 
MAGA world. Well, that, in fact, was my next question for you. I mean, I haven't seen any yet. Do Does Kevin McCarthy, does the Republican caucus, now that they're in control, have any agenda? I mean, do they stand for anything? Do they want to do anything? You know, I would say writ large, McCarthy doesn't have much of an agenda beyond keeping his speakership and he's willing ah. to sacrifice everything else in the service of that agenda. It's why, you know, the debt ceiling has been so problematic. Um, mm-hmm. But beyond that, you know, there are things that get done, um, you know, that are, are bar- bipartisan nature. They don't tend to get as much attention because they're not, uh, you know, the, the, the most consequential. Uh, but to give you, you know, an example, I, I'm working with a Republican on an effort to use Russian seized assets uh, to um, help support humanitarian and military efforts uh, in Ukraine, um, to help Ukrainian efforts. Um, we have frozen mm-hmm. a bunch of Russian assets, and those could be transferred to Ukraine. Uh, and things like that can be bipartisan, are bipartisan. But uh, but in terms of an overall agenda by Republicans, um, it's mostly uh, targeting their fox-watching base uh, things they know will never pass in the Senate, will never become law, mm-hmm. uh, and a, and then a bunch of frivolous um, uh, oversight or, or investigations masquerading as oversight. Yeah, uh, and we've seen almost no end to those. Well, I thought of you the other day, Congressman, when I read uh, uh, in the Associated Press just a couple of days ago uh, that the public trust in the Supreme Court of the United States is the lowest it's been in 50 years. Um, I know this has been an issue you've talked a lot about and are taking some, uh, trying to take some action on. Uh, should we be concerned about people having no trust or confidence in the Supreme Court of the United States? We should. And, and frankly, we should be even more concerned about why people have no confidence and trust in the Supreme Court. Uh, and it's because the court has been packed, uh, and it is now the least representative body in the country. Uh, Mitch McConnell successfully packed the court when he withheld an appointment uh, from Barack Obama from even getting a hearing, uh, and then the most hypocritical fashion jammed another, another justice down the country's throat while people were literally voting for Joe Biden. And the result is, is a Supreme Court that is no longer a conservative court that would have some respect for precedent, but a partisan and reactionary court. And this is why the court lacks public confidence. Um, It is deeply out of step with where Americans are coming from. It was uh, packed ideologically to achieve a reactionary social agenda. Um, It is obviously pushing um, an agenda that includes the repeal of women's reproductive freedom. Um, And that may be just the first right to fall uh, so there are remedies for this, and, and I've been championing expansion of the court, uh, court of ethics for the court, term limits for the court. Uh, the most ip- important is expansion, because that would allow us to to unstack the court. Uh, um, do you have a number in mind, um, or uh, is there any ideal number? And, you know, there are even some progressives who say, yeah, well, if we stack the court, they'll just, if we put more people on the court, they'll just stack it more against us. What's your response to that? Uh, you know, my response to it is they've packed the court, and we can either 
decide to grin and bear it and and sentence an entire generation of Americans, uh, in, including my kids, to an adulthood in which um, they have to live under this reactionary quarter. We can do something about it. Um, yes, there's a risk that they could always expand the court too. But frankly, they've already done it. They've already packed the court. <laughs> right. uh, and, uh, and we're continually put in this position where if we seek to restore balance to something, um, it, it sets up a precedent that they could abuse. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and just for a very recent example, we moved to try to expel this, you know, serial fabricator, George Santos. Uh, and now they want to use that precedent to try to expel me because I'm, you know, public enemy number one for the MAGA crowd. Um, I impeached mm-hmm. uh, the first impeachment of Trump and uh, participate in the January 6th uh, hearings to hold him accountable. And, uh, so they will use the precedent of trying to get rid of George Santos to uh, try to expel someone they consider to be, you know, one of their the MAGA world's foremost uh, adversaries. But uh, but you know, we 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 need to continue doing the right thing, even if they use the precedent for the wrong thing. Should the court adopt its uh, a, a binding code of ethics, and if not, uh, should the Congress act? Um, absolutely. Uh, the court should, if they don't, we should. And, you know, the, the, the challenge, of course, is that the question of whether we can impose a code of ethics on the Supreme Court would ultimately be adjudicated by the Supreme Court. So it's the fox that's uh, guarding the hen house. But, um, you know, my feeling is that it would be constitutional uh, and we should uh, enact it. And if they're going to try to strike down um, a form of accountability, they're going to have a hard time defending it. Um, It will also give only, I think, further impetus to uh, limit the terms of justices, uh, as well as uh, expand the size of the court to restore its balance. But but whatever the Supreme Court may rule on it, I think we have an independent responsibility in Congress to do what we can to restore uh, ethics on that court, and, and we should. We have seen some pretty stunning, uh, shocking uh, information about uh, gifts that uh, Justice Clarence Thomas received from developer Harlan Crow, the super yachts, the private jets, the luxury resorts, buying his mother's house, paying his godson or uh, great nephews, I guess, uh, tuition. Um, Does that merit impeachment, Congressman? Uh, you know, I think impeachment, uh, you know, and obviously I have a lot of experience with this remedy. In fact, I, <laughs> yeah. uh, well before Trump's impeachment, uh, impeachments, plural, um, I led an impeachment. I was lead manager in the impeachment of a corrupt federal judge named Thomas Porteous, uh, who was convicted. And he was convicted uh, in part uh, in one article for lying to Congress during his confirmation, something that uh, hmm. uh, many have, have cited as a precedent for justices who lied about um, respecting the precedent of Roe v. Wade. Um, but, but I think, frankly, a more practical um, option than impeachment is expansion of the court. I think, for one thing, we could uh, expand the court with a majority vote if we can get past the filibuster. We don't need two-thirds of the, the court as we would in an impeachment. Um, so I, I think uh, expansion is a more vi- viable way of dealing uh, with that, and I also think term limits would deal uh, effectively with that uh, problem of Clarence Thomas, um, and and so those to me are the more viable remedies. 
And you've just recently introduced uh, the Justice is Blind Act, uh, which deals with, as I understand it, uh, stock trading on the part of justices, Congressman. Yeah, you know, I'm uh, continuing to be uh, concerned about justices who are putting their financial interests ahead of the public interest. Uh, Obviously, we see it in different forms with Clarence Thomas and these, you know, sort of hidden beneficiaries providing luxury travel. And uh, and you see it potentially with other justices in which family members uh, have made a lucrative living um, working with people who have business before the court. Um, but uh, but also begs the question about whether in other respects, including uh, their stock portfolios, um, they may this may be influencing their court decisions because obviously their court decisions have a big impact on the fortunes of different uh, companies and interests. Uh, so my bill would uh, essentially force justices to put their stock in a blind trust or not uh, or ban mm-hmm. trading. Uh, I think we should do the same with members of Congress, uh, given the abuses that we've seen. Right. Uh, And that bill has just been introduced, right? There's no movement on it yet, so far as I know. Right. Well, um, there are a few other things that are occupying your time these days, Congressman. (laughs) In addition to your uh, work on behalf of the uh, people of California, in fact, the entire country uh, in the United States Congress, uh, we're going to take a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod. And uh, when we come back, want to ask you how that big Senate race is going, plus a couple of other issues. In today's podcast with Congressman Adam Schiff, brought to you by the Iron Workers Union, the good men and women of the Iron Workers, under President Eric Dean. You know, think of all the iconic structures in this land of ours, um, most of them. The work of the great iron workers, the Golden Gate Bridge, the, the big memorial arch in St. Louis, the New World, uh, One World Trade Center, and that new bridge being built between Kentucky and Ohio. All thanks to the iron workers. They say the sky's the limit, and they mean it. Check out their website, ironworkers.org, and we send a big thank you to all the members of the iron workers for their great work building America and for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, You're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at SCS. .georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's home equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. 
Figure Lending LLC DBA Figure. Equal Opportunity Lender. NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And we're back on today's podcast. Uh, honored to be joined by Congressman Adam Schiff, uh, representing uh, the Burbank, uh, West Hollywood area in California, uh, and of course, the first impeachment manager for the first impeachment of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, so, Congressman, I saw the other day you gave a, a commencement address where you warned the graduates uh, that democracy is in peril. And it's basically up to them to save it. Uh, are you really concerned that our democracy is on the line? Uh, I'm desperately concerned about it. And it has been in jeopardy now for some years. Uh, and, you know, with you know Trump's return to the scene, and if the election were held today, he would most likely be their nominee. Um, our democracy is once again on very fragile ground. Uh, you know, we, we have seen during the four years of his presidency uh, things go from bad to worse to worse, and the end point was insurrection. That would be the beginning point of any new term by Donald Trump. Hmm. Uh, but, we, but even in the absence of that, um, we we continue to see a Republican Party in Congress uh, that is uh, essentially a kind of a cult of personality more than a party of ideology, a, a cult in which you know, a conservative like Liz Cheney has no place anymore. And, and why? Because she was unwilling to tell a big lie about our elections, a big lie that undermined the foundation of our democracy. Uh, and you still have Republicans out pushing these big lies. And you have other Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, um, advancing voter disenfranchisement efforts. Uh, this is their political business model. They know their policies are backward and unpopular. And the only way they can gain power or hold power is if they um, make it increasingly difficult for people to vote. Um, and once you, you know, tear down that foundation of voting, then the whole edifice is at risk. Uh, so I am deeply concerned with where we are as a democracy. Uh, and the solutions that you see, other than electing more Democrats, <laughs> I guess I would add, uh, particularly at the state level where a lot of these changes are taking place, uh, what can we do about it? Uh, and and uh, particularly, I guess, important in 2024, correct? Uh, yes. I mean, there, we're going to have to overcome, first of all, all of these voter disenfranchisement efforts uh, to take back the House, to win the presidency once again, to hold on to the Senate. Uh, if we're successful in doing that, then we need to make voting rights the very first thing that we do. Uh, do away with the gerrymander in the House uh, do away with all these uh, laws around the country meant to disenfranchise people. Uh, that really ought to be the first order of business. It was something, frankly, I was arguing should have been the first order of business uh, when when Joe Biden became president and we controlled both houses. But but I will also say that I think a big part of the reason why our democracy is at risk, uh, and this is a central fo focus of mine, is that the economy is simply not working for millions of people. And this was really mm -hmm. at the heart of my message to the, the UC law graduates uh, in San Francisco. Uh, and that is, the problem is not that people aren't working. The problem is that they are working and they're still not making enough to get by. And I think when people see the quality of their life um, at risk and the future for their kids in doubt, 
they start to be receptive to a demagogue like Trump who promises that he alone can fix things. Uh, so we need to address the unaffordability of housing. We need to address the scourge of homelessness. Uh, we need to make sure people can afford quality health care, that they have a, a good retirement, a secure and dignified retirement. Um, these are all things that are essential for a, a, an economy that works for everyone, but also central to preserving our democracy. Right. Otherwise, people get the feeling that they're basically just running in place and not getting anywhere, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I was on the picket lines uh, recently with uh, the writers. Um, and, you know, changes in technology are going to aggravate this uh, like AI if we don't do something about it. Um, I was on the picket line a month earlier for the LA Unified School Workers. These were bus drivers and cafeteria workers and nurses' aides. They were being paid twenty-five thousand a year. Um, you can't pay people twenty-five thousand a year and expect that they're going to be able to find a home. And and if we don't want people to be homeless, we have to pay them a livable wage, something that they can provide for themselves and their family. And these economic challenges, I just think, are are part and parcel of our overall challenge to our democracy. Uh, so, Congressman, you have taken a big step. You were the first member of Congress. There are now two others who have declared your candidacy for the United States Senate from California uh, to replace Senator Dianne Feinstein. Um, it wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't feel right uh, having you on the podcast and not giving you a chance to uh, tell us, and most of our listeners are probably from California, um, why Adam Schiff? Well, and thank you. I'm delighted to, to be on and have a chance to talk to you about the Senate campaign uh, look, we've got three great progressives who are, are running on the Democratic side. Um, I think what distinguishes me, and, and this is, I think, why Nancy Pelosi is supporting me and more than half of the California Democratic delegation, um, is that I have a very strong record of getting things done for California, of delivering. And in my view, you can't be progressive unless you make progress. Uh, so I've been, <laughs> you know, I've been pivotal to delivering light rail systems and to building out an early earthquake warning system, uh, to delivering up-to-date textbooks in our schools and a patient bill of rights, to delivering legislation to protect press freedom and to attack nuclear nonproliferation. I brought millions and millions of dollars back to California to help house the unhoused, uh, to help address the fentanyl crisis and to support community-based policing. Uh, and And this is what I want to do in the Senate, which is meet the needs of people up and down the state, work with people to get things done. Uh, but I also uh, think that, that I've distinguished myself among my colleagues in being of this, at the center of the fight to protect our democracy. Um, and and I, I, I'm very proud of the role that I've played, even though it's made me a big target on the right. Uh, <laughs> I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. And given where the country is, um, I, I, I think we're still deeply at risk and we still... Uh, maybe more than ever need a, a champion of our democracy in the Senate. The primary is in June 2024. Uh, uh, March. The, uh, in March. I'm sorry. That's right. We moved it up. Uh, well, <laughs> I should know that. Right? Yeah. Uh, the general, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, in November 2024. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, some 18 months away. Uh, Congressman, should Senator Feinstein stay where she is or should she step down? You know, I think that that will be a decision that she will need to make based on on her health. Uh, I'm glad that she is recovering and, and glad she's back at work. I'm glad she's confirming judges. 
Um, and, uh, and, I, and she'll have to make that decision. I, I'm glad both because she's a longtime friend and colleague. Uh, she and I have worked together very closely over the years. Uh, uh, Diane is the, the head Democrat on the Intelligence Committee in the Senate, and I had the same role in the House. But we've also worked on bringing back uh, Millions for California, protecting open space, uh, attacking the wildfire uh, threat facing California. Uh, so I'm, I'm just glad she's back. Um, I will say this. Uh, I am deeply concerned if she wasn't back that uh, the Republicans will never appoint someone to the Judiciary Committee to fill her seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm glad that she's back and able to confirm judges, because that may be the only way we can get judges uh, put on the bench is if she's there. But but ultimately, um, she'll need to decide. Um, and um, uh, and I'm, I uh, just I'm, I'm grateful she's on the path uh, of recovery. Uh, so I just want to ask you one final question. You uh, are very busy looking at 2024. Um, aside from your own race, Congressman, when you look at the presidential contest for 2024, you mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, um, it looks to you like uh, were the votes held today. Donald Trump would be the Republican nominee, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, tragically. Um, and, and I do want to say this. I, I think we have a both pivotal opportunity and responsibility next year in the presidential race to move the country in a new direction, to move it away from this flirtation with authoritarianism. Uh, The Republicans have made it clear they won't drop Trump or Trumpism because he's a liar. They're okay with that. They won't drop him because he's immoral and unethical. They're fine with that too. I'm convinced they won't even drop him if he's a convicted felon. But if they decide that he's a loser, if we beat them again (laughs) in election after election, and they decide that he's a loser, and as long as they stick with him, they'll be losers, then then, then, and maybe only then will they decide to move on, that this whole experiment and Trumpism was just a colossal uh, nightmare for the country and a disaster for their own party. You and I can remember, Congressman, a day when someone who was even accused of sexual assault or rape would not be considered as a candidate for any office, right? How times have, how times have changed. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it is an astonishment to me that he is considered uh, a candidate for dog catcher after leading an insurrection, uh, being uh, adjudicated a, a sexual uh, assault perpetrator, uh, making you know hush money payments to a porn star literally while he's in the Oval Office, um, extorting Ukraine with, with withholding military aid to get them to help him cheat in the election, twice impeached. I mean, it, it's amazing that he's considered viable for anything. Do you have any concerns about President Biden uh, running for re-election and his uh, ability to do the job at the uh, young age of 81? Uh, you know, the interactions I've had with the president, and I've had many, um, I have great confidence in his ability to do the job. And considering the track record of the last two years, which is one of the most successful uh, in a generation, um, he's proved he's more than capable of doing the job. And uh, and so I'm, I'm fully behind him. And I also think if it should come to another race with Donald Trump as their nominee, uh, that uh, Joe Biden is a very good matchup for us. And uh, and so I feel uh, I feel good about uh, his candidacy. 
Well, Congressman, it's good to have you back on the uh, on the Bill Press Pod. Uh, thank you for all your good work. Good luck with your new effort uh, in the Senate race, and we'll uh, stay in touch with you as that uh, as that develops uh, even further. Uh, and talk again soon. Thanks, yeah, Congressman. Great to talk with you, and and Bill, thank you so much for your uh, past leadership of our party and your current leadership uh, as an advocate. You and I, good team. Thanks, Congressman. Thank you. And that's it for today's podcast with Congressman Adam Schiff. And we'll be back on Friday with our roundtable. Will the deal worked out between Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden actually get past Congress? Will there be any more Republican candidates jumping into the 2024 primary? All the That and all the other news from Washington will be tackling with three political reporters on this week's roundtable on Friday. So have a great week, everybody. Come back and see us on Friday for our roundtable and the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. 